Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. <laughs> well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt. We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships. If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place. Here we go. Do you think anyone has ever had a cold for as long as I've had this cold? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't know if you've just gotten another form of a virus cold or... I don't know, but this like started a little before Halloween. Oh, have Thanksgiving. A little before Halloween. And it is getting old. And I don't know, the other thing, I don't know if anyone's ever had a cold that's just in their right nostril. Not in my left nostril. Not in my chest, thank God. I hate coughing. Yeah. Kind of yeah. colds. God, I am... When it comes to being sick, I am as tough as wet tissue paper, man. <laughs> I wonder if you uh, have an allergy. I don't know. But can you get an allergy just in your right nostril? I don't know. Uh, I know this is very wimpy. And I know um, we have listeners who have... God, I'm glad I stopped drinking because if I had drank into the point where I had... If I had drank until the point, not drank until... Apparently, my right nostril and my vocals are going. Mm. But if I had continued to drink until I had had serious biological issues, I would. Could you imagine what a nightmare I would have been? Uh, yeah, that would be pretty bad. You're always man sick, so. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're like stoic about stuff. I asked you the other day about that shoulder that's been bothering you, and I'm like, you haven't complained about it lately. And you're like, yeah, it's not any better. I've just decided I'm not going to complain about it. And I'm like, how does one do that? How does one stop complaining about something that ails them? I have no ability to do that. Sorry. No, you're good. You're impressive. I'm doing the, like, exercise things that I'm supposed to do, the, you know, stretches and whatever. So it's, it's better, but thank you for asking. Yeah. Well, you know... There's no question that you're tougher than I am, uh, certainly when it comes to pain tolerance. I mean, you squeezed up four babies. I never did any of that. I'm glad you didn't. Well done. Thanks. Well done. So, um, got a favor to ask of our listeners. I think, I think in January, we so our book, our first book, our first and so far only book, not the e-books, but the actual published book, that you can buy on Amazon, you can buy from our website. That has been out three and a half years now. Can you believe it? Three and a half years. Really? It's been out that long? Yeah. Gosh, where has the time gone? And considering that we're like nobodies, um, and certainly we're super nobodies three and a half years ago, I'm really happy with the way it's sold. Um, Mm -hmm. Sold a lot, like we sell some, you know... For a while, we sold some every day, and now we still sell some every week. And um, so, I'm really happy with how it is sold. But I think it is time. So in January, we are going to put the ebook, the Kindle January version, 2024. January 2024, next month, we're going to put the Kindle version on sale for 99 cents. Ooh. And so, I have a favor to ask of our, our listeners. I can't tell you how much it would help us. If you got on Amazon and bought the Kindle ber- version of our book while it is on sale for 99 cents, and it will not help us from a financial standpoint. We will not make any money. 
I don't even know if we'll make like a nickel. I don't I don't know how the math works. But we won't make any money when it's on sale for 99 cents. But what will happen is when we write our second book, it will help boost our publishing numbers so that publishers will take an interest in us because one of the big things that publishers look at is track record if you have previous publication. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the first time we published the book, we didn't have any of that. So we self-published. And, uh, you know, being able to show good numbers to a publisher is really, really, help, really, really helpful. A lot of people do this right off the bat. A lot of people sell their books for like 99 cents right off the bat to boost sales. But I couldn't do that because my ego got in the way. I couldn't think about putting that much work and effort and, you know, we got compliments on early book reviews that we shared with people. I couldn't take all of that and then sell it for 99 cents. Mm. I would have felt like a failure or I just wasn't, you know, we talk all the time about how important self-esteem is in recovery. Yeah. I did not have enough self-esteem to sell our book for 99 cents. Yeah. You couldn't have seen the benefit perhaps at the time or even maybe even 18 months, 24 months ago, maybe you still would have been reluctant to do that because your ego and your self-esteem or your self-esteem, pardon me, was still kind of wavering. You know, what's interesting. Annie Grace who is the author of This Naked Mind, which is, I haven't looked recently, but the last time I looked, it was the best-selling book in the recovery category on Amazon and had been for like five years. Just consistently the best-selling book out there. And I had a conversation with her, oh, a couple years ago now, and she wanted to sell her book. She wanted to give her book away, and she did for a while, She for a good while. And then when she attracted a publisher, the publisher wouldn't let her give it away and made her charge. And I think, I don't think she does the 99 cent thing. I think she charges what it's worth, as far as I know, as far as I remember. But she had such a different mindset. Her mindset was just, I I think this is helpful information and I want to get it in everybody's hands. And so I really admire her for having that much self-worth, that much confidence to be able to view marketing her book that way. Um, and even now, even now, as I say in January of 24, I think we should uh, drop the Kindle version to 99 cents. It's still for selfish reasons. It's not just to get it out there to more people and help more people. It's because I want our listeners to help us by dropping a buck so that our book, you know, like I said, I'm pleased with our numbers, but there's no reason to believe we couldn't sell thousands of more copies in January at 99 cents. So even if you've got a copy, like a hard copy, like maybe you bought one of the signed ones or whatever, if you would go on Amazon and drop a dollar, that would be tremendously helpful to us so we can sell a few thousand copies. Maybe that's optimistic, but a thousand or so copies extra and it'll help us the next time we publish. So I don't know. We'll see. Three and a half year old book. Uh, maybe I should stop being so damn proud of it and <laughs> just give it give it away. And for the record, Amazon won't let us go below ninety nine cents. So uh, that is, I think, what we should do. Are you okay with that? Yeah, absolutely. The book is called Sober Evolution. That's the main title, and then the subtitle is uh, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Relationship. 
I think that's right. It's been a while since I went to the subtitle. I, I wish that one you right could here. see your face as you were trying to remember what the full title was. Because I remember we were like we were doing it. I was like, "That's a really long title," and you're like, "Well, you know." I was mostly that's what right. They all do. Okay. Silver Evolution recover or evolve into sobriety and recover your alcoholic marriage, not relationship. Yeah. But you don't have to be married to read it. Yeah. I think we're much... Romantic partner, yeah. I think, is probably more appropriate, but who knows? There might be some tips in there for... But if you type in Sober Evolution with no spaces, boom, Sober Evolution, all one word, that. it's going to come up. Yeah. And then you'll see our names, so you'll know you're in the right spot. Yes. And uh, yeah, 99 cents in January. Help us out. Spread the word. Drop a buck. Uh, can't tell you how much... Good that it'll do to, you know, and I say it's for selfish reasons, but it really will help to spread the message that there is um, help out there, not just for people trying to get sober, but for the loved ones and for relationships as well, because the more copies of that book we sell, the more interested other people become in helping us spread the message. Yes. That's the short version. So, thanks. That's we'll, the short uh, version? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's like my title. short version. <laughs> Did I mention that my right nostril has a cold? Yes, it does have a cold. Do you want to talk more about that? No, thank you. We need a new batch of listener questions. I have to admit that I have not done the best job ever of... You know how I'm like all organized with things and I have spreadsheets for like everything? <laughs> yes, well, it's that cold. It's well, just taking, taking you down, mister. Well, we've been doing listener questions for like <laughs> a year and a half now. And uh, I've never created a spreadsheet for listener questions and I'm not here to say that I'm going to now. Um, but I have a folder for them and I keep reasonably good track of them and mm-hmm. I'm sure there are some that we've missed. But one of the reasons it's tough is because we'll get multiple questions that are basically the same thing. Right. So we kind of roll it into yeah. just one because there, you know, a lot of it is universalisms that happen in Indeed. here. So I think we've, I think, like I said, I'm sure we've missed some but I mostly think we've addressed the ones that we're willing to address. So, uh, and you know, what happens around the holidays, it turns out everyone gets really busy. Really? And so the inflow of things like listener questions drops. Mm-hmm. And so I'm kind of calling this like clean slate. I'm going to start over. Uh, so we would love it if people resume sending listener questions our way. Again, you won't get a technical or clinical answer, but you'll get a couple of yahoos. Um that uh, have some real-life lived experience that'll take a shot at our thoughts on your listener question. Send those to matt at soberandunashamed.com. Sherry, this is going to publish on this episode on the 18th of December, so basically exactly a week before Christmas. Uh And I know that... You know, in the Christian tradition, that's considered the Advent period. And Advent, what does Advent mean? Waiting. Yeah. Yeah. You want to elaborate at all? (laughs) Waiting. One word. I think it's, I mean, that's how I would just always attributed it to. I didn't know if it was like waiting for something special or waiting for a person or... Guffman? Waiting for Guffman. Oh, that's such a great movie. Any of his Christopher Guest movies are fantastic. But I've just always attributed it to, like, the season of waiting. Um, I don't know if I've really... Working on my right nostril. I don't... Keep talking. Yeah, I don't know if I've really... Maybe that's a good 
question I can ask the Sunday school kids this week at glad church I, if they I know. Glad to help you prepare yeah. for that. Yeah. Yeah, I may have to change my whole children's sermon now. Yeah, but, but did you did you look it up or you just get a guess with oh, what I it don't, means? I rarely look things up. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. But the the reason um, I I wanted you to explain what Advent's about and that it's about waiting. You're right. Is um, because I think when you're hitting that, you're in that zone. You're a week out from Christmas. I think if you are in an alcoholic relationship, especially as the loved one. I mean, I speaking as. A former active addict, I had nothing but excitement going into holidays because, you know, any holiday means I'm going to find a way to drink more than I normally do. So I was never in an anticipatory state a week out other than anticipating awesomeness. Even when year after year after year, I overdid it at some point during the holiday season and it was full of regrets and shame and, you know, that wound licking and that apologizing and all of that, that cycle that happens. I would completely block that out and just think, oh, Christmas is coming. Here we go. You know, going to have some, we owned a bakery, going to have some really busy times at the bakery, which means we're going to take in a lot of money. It's going to be hard work, but we're going to take in a lot of money and then I'm going to um, relax at Christmas and the week after and just basically drink whenever I want to. And so it was always super exciting. But I know as the loved ones of an alcoholic, you have a different perspective, correct? Yes. What's that week leading up to the big holiday like? Um, well, you know, it, it, like there are just so many, for our life, there were so many different components, so many different situations because depending on the age of the kids or if I was pregnant or not during that um, holiday season meant whether and and how pregnant I was because two of our kids were born in the winter one of them right after Christmas then that meant like how much I worked or didn't work at our bakery you know because physical labor and all that you um, know, in also the, book, the good earth she uh, yes. is hoeing potatoes in the field and then goes in and Pops out a baby and then goes back to yeah. Well, I walked all over the flipping zoo the day we gave birth to no, I gave birth to number three. So I'm kind of like good Earth Lady, if you yeah yeah. Well, um, well um, I'm teasing, but also so like that. But then you and I working together at that point was not always good. Like I didn't go as hard and as fast as you did. I mean, you wanted me to rush through customers and, and not chit-chat. And you thought whenever I was chit-chatting, I wasn't working. Or I wasn't doing things correctly or the I, way you wanted. I forgot about that, but now I remember. We used to stand back at the kneading table making bread when you'd be up front with customers and be like, oh my God. how like it, It's like, you know, those they say people who work um, customer service on like 800 numbers or, or just call-in numbers, mm. they are... Uh, their performance is rated based on how quickly they can get people off the phone. We yes. used to sit back, sit there and watch you chit-chat with people and be like, oh my God, can't she move on to the next person? But you're just so charming and delightful. I would like to come buy bread from you. Not me. Thanks for the double barrels over there. I'm giving you a compliment. Yeah, well, also, it was upselling some things. I know, you're and you good. have to, like, you have to engage the people. I mean, I have good customer service. You're very skills. good. Very good. But also, I didn't, 
I, and, and I felt like anytime I did need the bread, it's like, even if I had both of my hands going, you're like, can't you do another one? Like, can't do one with my foot, you fucker. So I'm like, I am the... <laughs> Does anyone want some foot bread? Come on in. You know, like I would it's Wednesday, never, day. according to you, I would never like roll the cinnamon rolls right and all this stuff. It was just like, kind of an ass. You were. Yeah. And, yeah. So it was never fun to work with you. And then... I mean, never? That seems... Okay. When you were drinking... Oh, yeah. And then there would be the evenings after the closing shift. And maybe, like, your parents were here watching the kids, and you were going to stick around, quote-unquote, to close, finish closing up or do some paperwork. I knew you were going to be sipping on something. Yeah. I knew you were not going to be sober. But so is that when you would come home. So that was if, very infuriating. Yeah. And then I came home and did kid stuff and present stuff. And this was a time where you really weren't... That involved in cards and the presents and the decorating and things like that. Like, you did the tree, the lights, and outside lights. But in addition to the things that you experienced on a daily basis, were you worried also? Were you like, ugh, he's Oh, gonna... worried about whenever the fight was going to happen and come? Yeah, oh, well, for sure. Tell me what you mean by that. Well, I didn't know when it was going to happen. I knew it was going to happen at some point when your parents are here. Um... You know, or, or shortly after, or there we would, you know, or, or we would have argued at our bakery, um, or, you know, I, I don't know. I just knew it was always going to happen. Like one time, I don't know, this is like one time we were given a night alone, um, uh, like one we of the years, one of, no, no, you're your sister and her family lived in Colorado, not too far away from here for a short while. So your parents came to our house, but then also visited them and took the two older kids. Oh, I don't remember that. And They took the two older kids, so we had two babies? No. It was before we had the babies? It was... Come on, Ms. Memory to... over there. So I feel like... <laughs> so I was... Yeah, so it was like New Year's Eve, because they stuck around for two weeks that year, because we had given birth to our third, so we just had the infant, and so they, they, your parents went up to take care of our two oldest, and then your sister-in-law, or your sister's kids, so then she and her husband did a night out in a hotel. Oh, nice. Okay, so we were home in our house with a newborn. I'm going to just say this, with a newborn. I heard that, And yeah. you got drunk and shitty and hateful. And I'm like, I just gave birth, like, not too long ago. This was December 31st, and we had the baby on the 27th. On the 27th. And because we had gone to um, a neighbor's. To have an early dinner, because we all had kids, so we all met over there, had like an early dinner. Um, that couple had twins that were like six months, and and I just saw you drinking. So I thought, even in the best of times, or possibly the worst of times, you know, like with our stress level, and our kid, the other kids were, you know, four and a half and two and a half, and we had a newborn, and we had our bakery business and that had been a year of a blizzard um that kind of shut down right before christmas so this week before christmas when people are gifting their neighbors you know all of that kind of 
just fell off since we didn't have that income. And I knew it was going to happen at some point. Do you think that's... I mean, I don't have An any... An argument. Rec- there, are, there are lots of things I remember, you know, that ended badly. I don't have any recollection of this. Do you think that I drank more because of how much sales revenue we had lost because of the blizzard? Or do you just yes, think I, I think was going to drink drank more? I think you drank more because of that, of the stress. And you kind of had... And we were at a friend, so you were drinking their stuff. So, you know, because you were so focused on the loss of money. And you were so hurt. And I remember I was crying to your dad. Just like, oh my God, we've lost a whole week of sales. That this, this huge, you know, chunk of our income for December... And, um, you know, I was kind of, I was crying to him about it. So I knew that eventually the stress would catch up to you and it did. And I remember thinking, you know, you were like just being really snippy and jerky, but there was always, I think with the holidays, you have family in town. It always adds a level of stress and anxiety regardless. Mm -hmm. Um, so you know, and then the relationship isn't great and you would get, you know, there would be a joke that was thrown your way or you were made fun of or the butt of a joke. And so your self-esteem was taking a hit when you were already feeling insecure. Well, it has to come out somewhere. Yeah. So then there would be drinking or you would snipe at me. Well, and, snip at and me I think, kids. I think this is relatable. I think there are a lot of, of all the stories that we know of people whose relationships have gone through alcoholism, the the financial component is big and very common and not so much in just who makes how much money, but in the self-esteem being directly connected to the financial piece. Mm -hmm. And so I think there are a lot of people that we have gotten close with that, you know, their career success, the traditional American definition of success, right? Tied to money, power, promotion, things like that. Um, is a huge component of how they react around, you know, how much self-medicating they do with alcohol, for instance. Mm -hmm. And so, like I said, I don't have any recollection of this. Well, maybe I don't have any recollection because of how much I drank, but I don't have any direct recollection of this instance, but here's what I can tell you. That blizzard cost us a bunch of money. I do remember that. And that would have been enough in and of itself to create extra drinking for me. Mm-hmm. But then you bring my parents to town and my father has been very career and financially successful. And I always, always, from the day I got my first job out of college, compared myself to him and envied him. I mean, I don't anymore. And I have that transition has happened for me in in sobriety and recovery because I have different things that I value as opposed to money now. But that, so that was a double whammy. Not only did it cost us thousands of dollars because of the snow that week, but I also was embarrassed in front of my father because of, you know, like, and you can't control the weather, but yeah, control the weather, but still to stand there in the bakery and have no customers yeah. Even if it's because an asteroid hit Colorado Boulevard in front of the bakery, I still would have taken that on myself. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I know a lot of people that it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. It doesn't matter, you know, whether it's weather or, you know, just the inflation or the market turns or whatever product you're selling 
is being recalled or, you know, whatever. There's so many things that happen that are beyond people's control and impact their career. But I, I just feel like that's fairly universal to feel like even if I can explain it away logically, there's 18 inches of snow. Um, I can't stop that from making me feel like I'm not doing enough. Yeah. And that I'm a failure. Absolutely. And when you feel that way, you drink extra. Yeah. Well, this is great. This is what I want to do, Sherry. I want to, because I think it's so, it's such a period of waiting and anticipation and not in a positive way for a lot of our listeners, the week leading up to Christmas. I want to relate some of our stories and, um, and then talk about kind of how it progressed through early sobriety. I want to go all the way back to my best friend in high school and I on Christmas our parents were friends too. And so my family and my best friend's family, we all lived pretty far away from extended family. I went to high school in New Jersey. And so we would do, you know, Christmas Eve, go to church, family stuff, Christmas morning, family stuff. But by Christmas afternoon, you know, my little four member nuclear family, my sister and I and my parents, we'd kind of done everything we needed to do with each other. And so we would get together with this other family who also didn't have extended family to hang out with necessarily. And I, I don't know that we did it every year. I mean, I only lived in New Jersey for four years, so I don't know, whatever. But I remember times where we would get together while I was in high school and who was ever house we were at. Like if we were at my house, for instance, my, my best friend and I would make an excuse and be like, oh, you know, he wants to sh show me something up at his house that he got for Christmas. And they only lived half a mile away. So we'd drive or we'd walk or whatever up to his house. And we just did that so we could drink. And we would go into whoever's whoever's house the family was at. We would go into the liquor cabinet of the empty house and, you know, get a little drink on. And then go back and be like, oh, that was cool. I got to see my friend's new whatever thing. His new hockey stick. I don't know. We didn't play hockey, whatever. What do kids, what high schoolers get? I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. I wasn't a high school boy, sorry. You weren't? Yeah. Okay. So, even back then, you know, the... Making excuses to get away to sneak a drink? Yeah. Wow. Pretty Lying ingrained. became early. What's that? Lying to sneak a drink came early. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Um, And then I remember a Christmas before the bakery days... When we were at your family in southern Indiana, and I remember we were at your sister's house, and I remember I was just drinking beers, you know, one after another, but I remember your brother-in-law, who has, you know, your, your sister eventually divorced him, and he has since passed away and died of alcoholism, alcoholism. but I remember that night he was like cover for me because he was drinking more than I was and he was drinking hard alcohol and I was drinking beer and he was he had a tendency to get really how would you describe him like short tempered but it would be more like snippy you know like you never you never were worried that he was just going to come in and like dominate the room and but you were worried that he'd walk through and say something nasty to your sister or something yeah so is snippy, is that a good snippy, way to describe it? like, just, like a kind of passive-aggressive yes. sort of jabs. And he could make the whole thing a little uncomfortable for a little while. 
But I remember he was drinking more than us. And so I was like, whatever, beer after beer after beer, there's no way I'm gonna no way I'm gonna top him as far as Jack Assery or looking bad. And uh I don't know. Did you do you remember that Christmas? Well I feel like there was I don't remember that in particular, but I feel like Do you remember worrying about me when we would be at your family for Christmas? Um Did we have our child first child then? I don't know. Did did your brother-in-law provide that cover? I was going to say, I think it was, it I was more worried about what was going to happen in their house. Yeah. Because even when we did live in Indiana, we were far enough away where we did have to spend the night. So I knew you wouldn't be as terrible. I have. Um, but yeah, I was probably more worried about their situation. Yeah. I don't remember at all going to my parents before, uh, like when we were adults, right? And we lived as adults. We, whether married or just before we got married because we lived together for a few years. I don't have any re- recollection of going to my parents' house on Christmas before we had the bakery and couldn't travel anymore at Christmas. Do you? Yes. Was I ever a drunk asshole? Um, no, that... I think we only went once. Well, we went up... We went when they were living in the Midwest um, once before kids, and then we went... Before kids, um, when they moved back to New Jersey, when they moved back to New Jersey, because we went in because it was the December after the nine eleven, and we went in to, oh, see, yeah, to the city. We went to the city, that's right. Yeah, so I think, and we had that same family that you were talking about in high school sneaking over to get drinks. We did some stuff with them, and you were pretty chill. Yeah, yeah, I was. A few months so pregnant. Twenty-two yeah. years ago, then. Yeah, I was a Christmas few months pregnant, and we had our first nephew, and I don't know. I think, yeah, I think you were maintaining pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I always my family, my dad specifically, really all the men in my family um, are daily drinkers, and uh, but I always had kind of a consciousness about trying not to drink more than they did or or just even if I knew I was drinking more trying to hide that I was drinking more so I wouldn't make it obvious when I'd go get myself another beer mm-hmm. but I tr- I definitely um you know wanted to not get out of hand but I also wanted a consistent buzz and so that was always a a challenge, and in my later years of drinking, it was a challenge that I failed at on a fairly consistent basis. But early on, I mean, 22 years ago, I've been sober for seven years. So uh, 15 years before I quit drinking, I, in my way of looking at it, I had not crossed the line into Yeah, you had not crossed the line then. Yeah. I was able to, no, I wouldn't yeah, say I could take it or leave it. Like, if I was going to yeah. be around my family, I was going to drink. Right. But, and I mean, you know, your sister wasn't really drinking and... Your brother-in-law didn't drink the way that you guys do. Isn't the progression interesting, though? Like, when I compare it to my father, his drinking has remained steady the whole time that I can ever remember. But my drinking 22 years ago, I was able to stay at that steady area. But then toward the end, I just wasn't. I mean, if we were there with them for a week, I could 
pulled it together five out of the seven nights, but there was going to be one or two where mm-hmm. I clearly had more than anybody else. Mm-hmm. So I just think that's interesting that I used to be able to hold it together and then toward the end I couldn't. Yeah. That's the progressive nature of alcoholism. Do you remember the night when we owned the bakery? <sighs> okay. We're going to give people some unwanted bakery uh, knowledge that will be useless. and But it is relevant to this story. Bread is a very perishable product. So you have to bake enough bread that you can sell it within the, you know, about 48 hours after you bake it, something like that. And if you bake too much, then you have to throw it away. We donated it to charity, but charity, but from the revenue standpoint, it was like throwing it away. Mm-hmm. And if you bake too little, then you had lost sales. And that's hard to do on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis, making those predictions on how much to bake. Around the holidays, it's impossible mm-hmm. to bake the right amount. So you're either going to bake too much or too little. And the holidays, as we have said, are a huge and very important time from a profit and loss standpoint for us. So even though the prediction is very difficult, getting it right or close to right is really, really important. And there was a Christmas where Christmas Eve, I guess I don't remember what day of the week it fell on. I don't know that that was important. But what is important to the story is we tried on the 23rd to bake all the bread for the 23rd and the 24th. So that on the 24th, which was our third busiest day of the year, all we would be doing is selling bread. We would, we'd bake a little, but for the most part, we'd just be selling. And we sold out of everything on the 23rd. We had like, people were like buying the, you know, the racks that the bread <laughs> okay. was, was uh, cooling on. I mean, we, everything was gone. And so what the bakers and I decided to do was I came home. I didn't get home till like 10 o'clock and we decided to start baking at like midnight because I remember I was only going to be home for like a couple hours. Yeah. And I came home and I was excited about the sales and I was excited about doing something different because we normally started at four in the morning. So starting at midnight was going to be different. And I thought this was going to be fun and exhilarating but I knew I wouldn't get any, like literally wouldn't get any sleep. And uh, even though I was enthusiastic and when I, and I, like you said, once everybody left the bakery and I was cleaning up and doing predictions and, and making decisions for the next day, I was drinking at the bakery while I was doing that. And I came home and drank here too. I thought I would just do all my drinking at home and then I'd go into the bakery with a pretty good buzz going, but I wouldn't drink at the bakery and I'd start drinking coffee and no one would be any the wiser. That was my thought anyway. And you and I got into a huge fight between 10 p.m. and midnight. Do you remember that? Gosh. I recall that a little bit, but I don't even remember what triggered the fight. I don't either. Um, But I think, you know, we've got some common themes here, right? Mm -hmm. My parents were here. The holidays. the, The work stress. I mean, I've got to put almost all of it on the work stress. That's that's what caused... You know, it was like a different kind of drinking. You know, there's celebratory drinking, there's mournful drinking, there's regular stress relief, but then there's drinking that's around, like, pretty big stress. And what's interesting about alcohol 
is alcohol can create the stress too. Yeah. You can take... Amp you up. The dishwasher can break. And now, in sobriety, I'm like, oh, that means we might be hand washing some dishes for a little while and I'm going to be watching some YouTube videos and I'm going to take a shot at fixing that sucker. And if I don't, then we're going to go spend, I don't know what dishwashers cost, 500 bucks at Home Depot and we're going to get a new dishwasher. And the whole thing's going to take, you know, three, four days max and cost us max 500 bucks, which is not great, but it's not the end of the world either. And that's just how I view that. If the dishwasher broke right now, that's how I would feel. If the dishwasher broke back when I was a drinker, and especially while I was drinking, it would have been the equivalent of like, you know, the whole house burning down and, you know, all every possession we've ever had being gone. Like as far as uh, the severity of the way I would think about that and how it would hit me emotionally. You're saying that alcohol exaggerates emotions? Yeah, hard to believe, isn't it? Is that what is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Breaking so, news. We should really tell people yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah. But so the point is, when it's more stressful, I needed the alcohol more. I drank more. It was serving a medicinal purpose. But the alcohol also made the stress much worse. Mm-hmm. You know, it yeah. made a, it made a hangnail into an amputation. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know where I want to go from there. Okay. But so that's what happened that that year. Yeah. All this stress about decision making. Because here's the other thing. You know, when we talk about predicting how much bread to make, whatever we made on the twenty fourth had to sell on the twenty fourth because we were going to be closed for a few days after. So not only is it stressful because we don't have anything to start the day with, but we also have to get guests right and make just the right amount. Yeah, and it's a shorter day, business day, on the 24th. Yeah, we closed early. Because we closed earlier, so we didn't And whether really we close have... earlier or not, people taper off at what? Three in the afternoon? Yeah. So you've got from... Three to five or something. You know, nobody comes in when you open, I mean, on a day like that. So yeah, you got from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Yeah. So there was just all that extra stress added by the drinking that amped you up and exaggerated everything. And it probably could have been just like a comment that I made that could have been like, oh, I wish you were going to be here for the kids or you're not going to get any sleep and then you're going to like be awful on Christmas Eve, you know, and you're not going to You wouldn't go to have said awful though. Yeah. But you're right. You're making a really important point when you say you could have said, oh, you're not going to be here for the kids. That was a statement of fact. Mm-hmm. You, I don't think you would have changed. You wouldn't have said, you're not going to be here for the kids, so you need to not go bake that bread and you need to be here. You would have understood that yeah. this is the business we're in and this is what you got to do. But even just lamenting about something that's a fact would have made me be like, oh, so now you don't think I'm a good enough father. Yeah. Yeah. Let me go. Let me go pour a drink while I tell you how I feel about that. Yeah. What an asshole. Yeah. Mm. I also remember um, when, so I remember what I would do specifically. I don't know if you know this, maybe you do, but on those holiday evenings when the bakery would be closed and 
all the like cleanup that everyone could participate in would be done and the employees would go home and it would just be me with my little clipboard and my computer and trying to make predictions and decide how much to make the next day. I would, I kept a bottle of usually whiskey in the drawer of my desk like Ed Asner did on Mary Tyler Moore. A little reference for people our age group and older. But, uh, yeah, I would pull out that whiskey bottle and I would go next door to the grocery store and buy some eggnog. And I'd make myself some eggnogs that were about 70% whiskey, 30% eggnog. And, uh, and, and so it, you know, it didn't really matter to me how long I had to stay there and do the, the calculations and the predictions because yeah. I play Trans-Siberian Orchestra, their Christmas album, at full volume. One yeah. song in particular, which I can't think of the name of right now. And uh, <laughs> and then I'd come home and I remember one time coming home on Christmas Eve and I poured myself another drink once I got home. My parents were here and I passed out pretty quickly. And I remember finding out the next day that whatever Santa prep was required... You had to do, maybe my dad helped your, you. There were several years that your dad would, and I built the Santa stuff. And so here's another thing that I think a lot of people will be able to relate to. Our whole family would talk about it the next day, you included, and say, oh, Matt was just so tired from the bakery. Matt yeah. fell asleep. And there was some truth to that. I was tired, and I yeah. did work very hard. But it was like... It was like this um, contagious denial. Like everybody was going with that. You, my dad, everyone was going with, Matt was just tired. That's why he fell asleep and couldn't, you know, put the bike together for his kid. So, um, I I think that's that's really interesting. Nobody said, what do you mean? He passed out. Didn't you, didn't you hear him? How he was talking, and didn't you see how he was slumped in his chair? Yeah. He wasn't tired, he was drunk. Yeah. Nobody ever said that. And I mean, and so we would make those, like, sort of excuses, and I, I, I remember because this was, like, when the kids were, you know, little. <coughs> Pardon me. And the kids were little, and um, your parents were here. And you would always, like, you know, I would come in and work some, but you also wanted me to be here experiencing the holiday with the kids as much as possible. So I think, like, we made those excuses for ourselves and and to remind ourselves that you were being selfless in letting me be with the kids, you know, on... You know, I would, like I said, I would come in, but I didn't go in as early as you. I didn't stay as late. I would work a shorter shift so I could have family time, both with your parents and with our kids. You know? Yeah, and that was part of it. And I think, like, I think, honestly, we kind of told ourselves that. Even though we knew that you had passed out from alcohol. But it's like we kind of told ourselves that just so that we would remind ourselves that there's a really good person that's just slumped over on the couch now. Yeah. Well. I mean, great. When I look back at that person, I don't have a lot of good things to think or say, but 
but you did work really, really hard, and you were selfless in a lot of ways. Now, whether it was, you know, because you just needed some time to regroup after being so busy I'll tell you at one the bakery, other... and then you're like, I have this little break, this little time with my eggnog and whiskey and Trans-Siberian Orchestra and my and my numbers and predictions and... But I'll tell you something else that it was that is a is a side effect of alcoholism. We've talked a lot about how control plays in. You are in an uncontrollable situation and so you're grasping at control wherever you can get it. Same goes for me as the drinker. I think I'm controlling my consumption, but I'm not really. And minor, minorly stressful things feel majorly stressful, so I'm not in control of those. So a lot of the, oh, sure, you stay home with the kids. I'm going to I'm gonna be the, the brave man and, and be so, um, what's the word? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take all the burden off of you and place it on me. That sounds good, but really it is. I, I, I have to make all these decisions. I don't trust you to make any of these decisions. This has to be all on me because I am going to suffer so greatly if this goes bad that I have to be able to do my best, make my best guesses because the last thing I want to do is have you take over that role and then now I'm drunk and I'm mad at you if it goes bad. And I know, I knew that that would... So I would like intentionally put myself in lose-lose situations because at least then I would only be mad at myself. Mm-hmm. And I knew I would drink more. And this is all like back to the subconscious mind stuff. But looking back, I know that that's how some of the processing was. I couldn't, like there's so much stuff that you do now that I trust you with that that I don't even like get involved in. And, you know, you make decisions like, you know, some of it's Christmas related, but just in in general as well. Um, And I, I know going in, this might go great. Or, you know, she might miss the mark. Who who cares? Who cares? It doesn't matter in the long run. And I just didn't have that mindset back then. Mm-hmm. So don't give me too much credit for being gentlemanly or... Well, I mean... I was also... I also for... knew that you wouldn't trust me to do it. Yeah. So I knew that there... I mean, even for me to say, do you want me to come in with you to bake overnight? You know, you you wouldn't have trusted me to do that. Yeah. Even though I knew what I was doing. Oh, you very much. I did it did it differently than you, but you didn't like the way I did things or whatever. Uh. <clears throat> so, I mean, I knew. I knew that it was, you know, you kind of, it was easier if I was kids, out of That might have been fun. But since our parents were here and we did have kids, young kids, I. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you should be here with them. But I wouldn't have traded places with you. I wouldn't have been like, somebody should be home with the kids. It should be me. You go into the bakery. Yeah. No. And you are a great baker. You have a culinary degree. You're a better chef slash baker than I am. Somewhere along the lines, mimosas became a thing on Christmas morning. Do you remember how that tradition started? Your mother. Oh, really? Yes. Um, Here's what I know. No matter how little orange juice you put in a champagne glass that also has champagne or not real champagne but sparkling wine whatever you know mm-hmm. um no matter how little orange juice you put Looks in like there it's going to turn orange. orange yeah imagine my 
excitement when I realized that a couple of drops of orange juice did the same thing as half a glass of orange juice. So I would always go off to the kitchen. I'll go make the mimosas. You guys all stay here. Stay comfortable. Sit down. No, no, no. I don't need help. I don't need help. No, no. You guys stay here. I'll, I'll take care of this. And then I'd go into the kitchen and I would make four, three. I would make three half and half mimosas and one 95.5 mimosa of almost all champagne. Yeah. Yeah. So that was not all that great. I don't have any necessarily big stories to tell other than that. I, the only thing I would always worry is, you know, don't put mine down on a table that I'm sharing the table with someone else mm-hmm. in case they grab the wrong one. Yeah, we didn't have any wine charms for our, <laughs> our glass. Yeah. Water. Okay, here's a good one. Because this speaks to kind of the mental, one of the mental aspects of being an active alcoholic. For several years, our kids were young and they loved it. Our, Nick liked to sleep in the morning, but the other kids loved it. Um, we would make some kind of little like musical routine that we were going to do Christmas morning to wake my parents. Uh, you know, usually some, we'd pick out a song on a CD and we're going to play it full blast on the stereo and have instruments and be choreographed. We were going to march through their room and jump on their bed and do whatever to wake them up on Christmas morning. And on the surface, that looks like a really nice thing a tradition that a father has with his children but really what that was was me being able on Christmas morning early to show my parents look at me my eyes are open they're not particularly bloodshot I'm with it I'm awake so if you thought I passed out last night and drank too much you were wrong I was just tired I'm fine look at me I'm fine Mm-hmm. And I'm going to use my kids as pawns in my ruse. Did you know at the time that there was an aspect of that at least that was I know, thought nothing it to was, see here? Well, I thought it was the nothing to see here. It's for show. Look how good of a dad I am. We're doing something funny. Um, And I didn't know at the time. Looking back, like we've talked about it so many times, like you would be the first one. Up do the lawn on Saturday morning after a big neighborhood get together on Friday night where you maybe drank a lot. You know, just mowing the lawn to, in the summer, yeah. Yeah, just because you wanted to prove to everybody, look what I'm doing, and I'm out, I'm up, and I'm on the front of the house, so everybody sees me. Um, and that's the same kind of thing with your parents on Christmas morning, but I never put that connection together. I thought it was more of a look how creative I am, look how good of a dad I am, look how silly we're being. Look at what a good dad I am. Look at the the fun thing I'm doing. Don't look at all the money we lost at the bakery. Don't look at the thing that I'm ashamed about as your son. Look at uh, look at how I'm bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and clearly didn't drink too much last night. Mm-hmm. It was cover. Yeah. It was bad. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to think back on it. Okay, so I think we've told a lot of stories that are probably relatable for people if you are in the throes of it if you're in it as we say in our echoes of recovery group and you are relating to these stories not in a past tense way but like here you are it's christmas week and you're terrified about what's about to happen i'm here to tell you that you know there is good news sobriety doesn't fix anything but it is a prerequisite and it makes room for things to get better. Not immediately great, 
but slowly, incrementally better. And I want to share a story of one of my favorite Christmas experiences ever with you. I remember when we gave our oldest boy, our second oldest child, a new bike. And I know I was heavily involved with researching the bike. You were pretty much all together. Yeah, I don't remember in how involved you were. I remember, you know, we had we had spent we had bought lots of like, you know, department store bikes. We'd never bought like a Cannondale or a you know, I don't know what other bike. We never bought an expensive bike. Yeah. So we were constantly dealing with like broken gears shit. that don't <laughs> just, shift, right? Just broken just shit. Just broken shit. Yeah. Brakes break and everything. So I wanted to get a bike that was quality but was also simple. I was sick of those what do they call the thing that moves the gear shifts gear, the gears over? Uh, There's a gear. actuator or I can't remember what's called. I don't called. know. Yeah. That's not the word. Derailer. Derailer, that's it. Can you tell me if I, so even like, I know what it's called? <laughs> so I'm like, look, they've got these bikes that are just, it's like a little kid's bike, but it's high quality. It's super lightweight, one gear, no shifting. This thing is going to be awesome. And in my defense, even though he is 19, has his driver's license, all that stuff, drove for years here at home. He's now in his second year of college and he lives pretty far off campus in a rental house and he rides that bike to this day. And so I brought it home for Thanksgiving break. And rode it just here. so he could ride his bike. So I am very proud of that purchase. But that's not the part I want to talk about. So it was a high quality bike and I was excited about it. And we had it hidden in our neighbor's garage mm. until Christmas Eve. And then on Christmas Eve, you and I went out, you know, after the kids were in bed, we went out front and we went over to the neighbors and it was kind of the first time you'd gotten to get a good look up close to the bike, and we just rode it out front. We rode it in the street. And, <laughs> That's right. And I remember you were like, "I want to turn," and you like, and then I had a turn. And you're like, "I want another turn," and it made me so proud that something that I had worked on, you were excited about, because there have been so many things that were disappointments in that regard. Either because I wasn't involved, I. You know, I didn't, I couldn't find the bandwidth to get involved in the kids' presence, or, you know, I, I did get involved and I disagreed with you and we argued about it and then we compromised and got something and neither of us were excited about it. But this was a time when I bought something and you got excited about it and I was beaming. I was so thankful and proud of that and just had fun with you out in the street. Obviously, we live in, in Denver. Dark. There's lots of times where you can't ride a bike on the street on Christmas Eve, but it had been clear weather, and so we did. Do you remember that? I do remember that. Do you remember riding the bike outside? I do remember riding the bike. I was probably, uh, I want to say that was four years ago. I was probably three years sober. So definitely wasn't the first sober Christmas, because that was a nightmare that Christmas. Mm-hmm. But I was enough sober that we were able to just have some peaceful joy. Mm-hmm. That was really great. Yeah, that was. Yeah. So, hang in there if you're not there yet. Yeah. It can get better. Absolutely. It can definitely get better. I think, you know, a takeaway for our listeners is if you are in the process of... Um, you know, going through uh, traumatic Christmases or maybe 
the traumatic one you're thinking is behind you, but now you've got some sad ones because you're you're stuck in the memory, the grief processing of Christmases that haven't gone well or holiday seasons that haven't gone well. Um, ask yourself this. Is this holiday better than the last one? And if you can say yes, just keep going, keep doing what you're doing, whatever that means, whatever that means relationship status-wise, whatever that means as it relates to your boundaries or your detachment. Don't don't compare this holiday to a Hallmark movie and don't compare it to Norman Rockwell. Uh, compare it to last Christmas. And if it's getting better, keep doing what season. you're doing. Last holiday season, yeah. Yeah. And if it's not, then consider what changes need to be made that you're ready to make, boundary setting, detachment, things like that. Um, it's not easy, and it, but it's not going to get better fast. But if it's incrementally better, if this, if this holiday, if you have a little more safety, a little more peace in your heart, a little less terror about how the rest of this month's going to go than you had last year, then you've got to give yourself the accolades or the the grace and the encouragement that that's progress. Because we didn't ride bikes in the street on our first sober Christmas, and we certainly didn't when I was still drinking. It takes a while to get there. Yeah. I love that bike. I do too. Except the seat. Every time you know, I ride that bike. You can replace the seat. I know, I'm too cheap. Well, it's Nick's bike. Oh my God, does my butt hurt when I ride the seat of that bike? Yeah. Yeah. Well. Happy holidays, happy Sherry. Happy holidays. We will have another episode that will come out on Christmas Day. Um, you know, we want to stay consistent and be there for our listeners that um, if Christmas is going to be tough, we want to give you something, give you a, a few minutes of of peace and connection, and uh, we'll be there for you. So I'm looking forward to a good Christmas day this year. Hope you are too, Sherry. Before you go, we hope you'll consider these three resources. If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org. If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org. No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. Go to soberevolution.org. For my wife Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast.